Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. We're going to open our Bibles tonight, beloved saints. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah just for a moment. And we're going to open to Jeremiah chapter 31. You know, these 21 days of Messianic miracles that will be starting on God's biblical calendar in just a few weeks are days of great destiny. Days of divine turnaround, days of promise, days of hope. Many of us right now are in a situation where we need God. We need God to speak to us. We need hope. And I'm going to share with you Jeremiah chapter 31, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17 tonight. And we're just going to share for just a few moments and as the spirit leads, we're just going to share this. All right. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord, go ahead and read it for us, prophet Philip, all the way to verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, but thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy, and there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Thy children shall come again to their own border. All right, let me explain what's going on here so we can understand this word of comfort that God has given to us. All right, we're shifting gears tonight. I know we came for Jesus to rabbi, but I'm just going to share with you what's on my heart. I can share with you curriculum, but I got to tell you what the spirit of God is saying right now. Okay. Is that all right with you? All right. So I want you to understand this was a vision that Jeremiah the prophet had. And it was a vision before Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be sh destroyed shortly after that. There's going to be nothing left of the city. It's going to be absolute rubble. And everyone that, that lives in the city basically is going to be exiled out. They're going to be killed with the sword. Or the ones that are not going to be taken that escape the sword are going to be left, but they're only the ones who are incapable of leaving the land and going to Babylon. This is a vision that Jeremiah had concerning the matriarch, Rachel. And I know this is a word for someone. Now, I want you to know Rachel lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jeremiah. She lived, she is one of the, the matriarchs. There are seven patriarchs and matriarchs. The three patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The four matriarchs are, are Sarah and Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. Now, I want you to understand something about the matriarchs and patriarchs because Everything they did, they're the founders of the nation of Israel. And every trial they went through in their life and every reward that God gave them for their trials because their lives were one continuous, ongoing um, time of test, trial, and testing of their character, testing of everything that they went through, and all of their reward was for their children. The children, the descendants that were going to be born from them, which became the nation of Israel. So hundreds of years after Rachel was already alive, hundreds of years after she was already dead, rather, Jeremiah sees this vision and he has prophetic insight to a promise that God gave Rachel before she died. 
And this was a promise. Now let me go back for a moment because Rachel, the matriarch, did not die a normal death. She died premature. And this is some, one of the greatest testings of Jacob's life because when he left Padam Aram, Syria, he was there for 22 years. And as he came into that land of Israel to possess the promises that God had given him to take possession of the land of Israel, the very first thing that happens after he crosses over into the land is that Rachel dies. She dies a premature death. She dies giving birth to Benjamin. And where she dies is on the side of the road. She dies giving birth and she dies on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. She dies right there between, between Bethlehem and it's the land of Judah and Benjamin. It's right there. It's actually the vicinity where Jesus was born. And she gives birth to a son, and she names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. And Jacob changes his name to son of my right hand, Ben-Yamin. And somehow during this, this ordeal of her death, that her death is is so significant that he doesn't even, he just leaves her on the side of the road. He doesn't bury her where all the other matriarchs and patriarchs should be buried in the cave of Machpelah that is in Hebron. And so the question arises, why didn't he bury her there? Why is she, is she buried just right on the side of the road? And why is she buried just in actually the middle of the road? And that is because hundreds of years later, her descendants, her children are going to be exiled out of Babylon and they are going to be brought all the way past her grave and they're going to be taken all the way to Babylon for 70 years. Now, the normal length of time for a captivity like that should be hundreds of years. To come back to the land of Israel would be impossible because once the nations conquer a nation and they take people and they, and they, they conquer a land, it's never that a nation comes back together after they're conquered and taken up out of the land and brought to another land. For example, when the Assyrians took the northern kingdom of Israel, they exiled them to the ends of the earth. They scattered them, but they never came back. Even to this day, the 10 tribes are still scattered. They're not brought back to the land. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about? So for a nation to not be assimilated because the ancient, um, the ancient way of conquering a kingdom would be you conquer a kingdom and you assimilate the people that you conquer. You scatter them. You don't allow them to stay together because they can up be, uh, there can be an uprising. They can take over your land. So Jeremiah has this vision of a promise that God gave to Rachel. And I believe that these 21 days of messianic miracles is a promise that God is giving to you. He saw that from something she did on the earth when she was alive, that God had promised her a reward in her descendants. And the promise is, notice, Thus saith the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. So in other words, as they were being taken to Babylon, Jeremiah saw before they were exiled, he already saw a promise that God had given to Rachel hundreds of years before, before she died, probably right there when she was dying. God gave her a promise about her descendants that they were going to come from the land of the enemy. And hundreds of years later, God fulfilled that promise. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And he said, 
Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, and your children shall come again from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your end. Hallelujah. Your children will return to their own border. This is why the exile only lasted 70 years, and without a Moses, without signs, wonders, and miracles, they came back to the land and rebuilt Zion. Somebody ought to say, this is the season. God is going to rebuild my dreams. This is the season. I'm going to take back my territory. This is the season that God is going to bring me back to the place of promise in my life. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Now, I want to share with you something about this, okay? These 21 days of messianic miracles are unlike any other time in biblical calendar. Why? Because they're times of restoration. And they're times of deep, 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 deep healing, deliverance. Now, I'm going to share with you something about this that Jeremiah did, okay? Let's look at this and let's do exegesis. Say it with me, exegesis. Okay, we're going to break it apart, and I'm going to show you a little secret that Jeremiah was telling us when he wrote it. Okay, how many of you want to know biblical secrets? Raise your hand. The Bible says, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret to his prophets. Hallelujah. So he revealed it to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wants us to get it. All right, I want you to look at the word. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children who refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Right there, right there is a very unusual terminology. Because if you look in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, if you look in Genesis, if you look in Exodus, no matter where you look, and of course, Rachel's not in Exodus at all. She passes away in Genesis 35. After that, there's no more Rachel. You will never find any passage at all of Rachel weeping for her children because they are not. Hmm, that's a little fishy, isn't it? Why is Jeremiah saying a voice was heard in Ramah, a voice was heard on high, Rachel, lamentation, better weeping, Rachel weeping for her children who refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Why did he say that? We don't have any scripture, any evidence, any time that Rachel's ever weeping for her children. But guess what? Her husband was. Her husband was. And... The very words that are used in this verse are used to describe Jacob's weeping. Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Jeremiah is taking us backwards. Say this with me. Jeremiah is taking us backwards because there's a secret about restoration about recovering, about being healed, about taking back what the enemy has stolen. Somebody ought to say, the God, my God knows my sorrow. He knows my heartache. And he feels every bit of pain that I go through. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Let's look at this. Genesis 37. Let's look at the kidnapping, okay? Let's go to the kidnapping. The kidnapping is found, the kidnapping of Joseph. Hallelujah. The kidnapping of Joseph is found in Genesis chapter 37. And say this with me, two sorrows when Jacob entered the land. Right on the tail, one after another. He loses his beloved Rachel and his beloved Joseph 
is kidnapped. Yeah. Say the trials of the righteous. The of the righteous. But somebody ought to say it's all good. Because God's going to work it out. You know, problem with this generation, oh, I'm sorry to say, but can I? Okay. I'm not seeing it for tohaha. I'm seeing it for encouragement, okay? Problem with this generation is you all haven't been taught how to work it out. Let the Lord work it out. Okay, we, we think that it just has to happen right now. And if it doesn't happen right now, because we're a little bit insecure, we've been hurt so much. We've been so disappointed. We're used to people abandoning us. We can get discouraged so easy. And we think God's forsaken us. But God is a good God. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you. Okay, so let's look at this. Let's look at this. Two trials because the actions of the fathers are assigned to the children. Say it with me. The actions of the fathers are assigned to the children. Say this with, with me. Ma'aseh. Avot Siman Libanim. Said again, the actions of the fathers are assigned to their children. All right, awesome. All right, now we are going to look and we're going to see this is the kidnapping. So go ahead, uh, Prophet Philip, and read for us verses 31 through 34. Then verse 35, I want everyone to read. So let's do that. Verses 31 through 34, Prophet Philip will read. And 35, we will all read. And I want you in verse 35, first of all, I want you to say, I know I've seen these words before. Okay, so I want you to look for the words that you've seen in Jeremiah and see if you can find them here in Genesis. Because Jeremiah took the very words from Genesis chapter 31, verse 35, and he transported them to his prophecy. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay, let's let a prophet Philip read. And they took Joseph's coat and killed him. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he, and he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. And evil beasts have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Verse 35, 1, 2, 3, go. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be Stop. Let's just read that again. One, two, three, go. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Turn to your neighbor and say, Where have we heard these words before? Somebody ought to say, I just read them in Jeremiah. I just read them in Jeremiah. Rachel was weeping for her children and refused to be comforted. But we don't find anywhere in the scripture that Rachel is ever weeping to, uh, for, for her children refusing to be comforted. So what's Jeremiah doing? Jeremiah is taking us back to Jacob and he's taking us back to the kidnapping. He's taking us back to the darkest day of Jacob's life. We might think that the death of Rachel was really the darkest day of Jacob's life, but in reality, it was not. The day of Joseph's kidnapping, the day he perceived Joseph to be dead was the darkest day of his life, and he refused to be comforted. Notice what the Bible says. Let's read it. The Bible says, and all his sons and daughters, read it together, rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. For he said, I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept 
for him. Now, I want you to understand what Jeremiah is telling us because Jeremiah is telling us now that this is a promise for every person that has gone through loss similar to Jacob. Every person that has gone through something where you say there is no hope, every person that has gone through a loss or a sense of loss, a sense of, of deep agony, the person that you love or a situation or a dream or a business or something that you have gone through that you say there is no hope. I don't think I'm ever going to get it back. God wants you to know in this season. Hello, are you hearing? God is telling you that there is hope in your end. Hallelujah. God wants you to know that just as Jacob thought he would never see Joseph again, 22 later years later, he's going to see a man that he's not even going to recognize. He's going to see a ruler over the land of Egypt. He is going to see his two children. He is going to live in the land of Egypt for 17 years. Say it with me for 17 years. Come on, somebody. I said 17 years of enjoying Joseph. Somebody ought to say the God that I serve is a God of comfort. And in these 21 days of messianic miracles, God is about to break through into my pain. And he is about to do something in my life that I never dreamt possible before. Comfort. Hallelujah. Comfort. Somebody should shout the victory. Now, let's go to Genesis 37, verse 1, because I'm going to show you the secret of 17. Say, I want to know the secret of 17. Did you know that there's a secret in 17? Okay. These 21 days of messianic miracles actually begin on the 17th day of the fourth month, which is called the 17th of Tammuz. Can you say that? 17th of Tammuz. Okay, several tragedies have happened in Israel's history on the 17th of Tammuz. Would anybody like to tell me one of those tragedies? Does anyone know? Yes, Ronit. Okay, that was destroyed on Tishabov, but it begins the invasion. You're very close. Okay, yes, Rachel. Raquel, <laughs> I'm sorry, I guess the Holy Ghost is calling you Rachel tonight, girl. Okay, go ahead. Okay, the breach of the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to follow it close, okay, because we're going to get into intensive Torah. Okay, tell somebody you entered the Torah zone. Okay, because now you're going to become Torahized, okay? The devil's going to be Torahized tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say the devil's going to be Torahized tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody should shout the victory. The devil is about to be Torahized because once you get Torah, God is going to change your life forever, and somebody ought to give God the praise. We're getting ready to enter into the Torah zone. All right. So I want you to see, dear people of God, this concept of 17. All right. First of all, um, when we're talking about the rebuilding of the ruins, and we are talking about taking back this, this 21 days of Messianic miracles, we're talking about the days from the 17th day of the month of Tammuz. Say it with me. 17th day of the month of Tammuz to the ninth day of Av. Say this with me, the three weeks. And say, ending with Tishabav. Okay, now I'm going to tell you um, throughout Israel's history, the it's not an accident. The first temple was destroyed in 587 BC, and on the 17th day of Tammuz, the walls were broken into by the Babylonians. 
well, that's strange. That's, you know, no big deal. Are we here just to study history? Or does this have some spiritual significance in our life? We may say, what in the world, what spiritual thing can I possibly get out of? Some historical documentation that Dr. Correll is telling us about the 17th day of the month of Tammuz, hundreds of years ago when the Babylonians broke down the city wall. Is that really relevant? And the answer is, yes, it is. Okay. Second temple destroyed. First temple's destroyed on the ninth day of Av, the three weeks. 17th day of Tammuz to the ninth day of Av, Tishabab. Then we see the temple is rebuilt and hundreds of years later, the temple that Je the same temple only rebuilt. Jesus prophesies, not one stone will be left upon another. And guess what? In 70 AD, on the seventh day, 17th day of Tammuz, the Romans do the same thing. Same day, hundreds of years later. They break down the walls, and the second base of Mikdash, the second temple is destroyed on the ninth of Ab, just like the first one, hundreds of years apart. Somebody ought to say, that's not a coincidence. Say, God's saying something. God's saying something. Okay, that's not a coincidence. This isn't coincidental. This isn't just by chance that two temples are destroyed on the same day hundreds of years apart, and the walls are breached on the 17th day of the month of Tammuz, that that doesn't happen by accident, all right? So first of all, we need to understand what is Tisha B'Av anyway? What is the ninth day of Av? Okay, several tragedies in Israel's history have happened on the ninth of Av. I want to get um, some of those tragedies and, and tell you the dates of them, okay? First of all, we have um, in 587 BC on the ninth day of Av, we have the burning of the first temple to the ground and the flattening of the city of Jerusalem, nothing left, total desolation. The whole entire city is emptied out. There are no inhabitants left except a few that are left to man the land. 70 AD, you have the second temple destroyed on the same day. Then in 71 AD, on the ninth of Av or the Tisha B'Av, you have the Romans plowing over the Temple Mount and flattening it. Mount Zion is no more, just flatten it. In 135 AD, you have the Bar Kava revolt, which is the worst revolt. He proclaimed himself to be a Messiah. He came and he said that he is the Messiah, Bar Kava. And Jesus warned it before he went back to heaven. He said, many will come in my name and there will be many false messiahs. He wasn't just warning us for the future. He was actually speaking to the generation. He actually prophesied the destruction of the temple that was going to happen 37 years after his resurrection. This was not just a light thing because anyone who lived in Jerusalem was going to be crushed by the Romans. And Jesus already gave his Talmudim instruction that it was going to happen and what they were to do. He told them to flee to the mountains. And he told them in Matthew chapter 24, he used Maccabean language. The language of the Maccabees. Let's look at that for a moment because the Holy Ghost is leading us there. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24 so you all know what I'm talking about so that you can see how powerful it is and that before things happen, Jesus warns us. Hello, somebody. I said before, before, before a place is plundered, God doesn't let you sit like sitting ducks. There are warnings. And God does give us a way of escape. And guess what? He tells us exactly how to do it. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. That's why we need to be in the spirit now more than ever so that we are prepared for whatever happens. Hallelujah. Give God the praise. We're safe in the arms of God. We're sheltered in the arms of God. Hallelujah. We're safe and we're sheltered. Somebody ought to say we're safe and we're sheltered. 
All right, so Jesus said, Jesus said, now I want you to understand in Matthew chapter 24, this is not only the, the end, uh, a message concerning the end, but this was also in the eyes of the Jew in the first century. The end of the world and the destruction of the temple are the same. Because to a Jew that lives in the land of Israel in first century Jewish Palestine, the destruction of the temple is like the end of the world because it is the, the absence of the presence of God leaving the earth. Do you all understand? It's, it's as if everything is already ended. So when the temple's destroyed, it's like the end. Let's just look at this. Notice, read chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, as we just saw here, and read it from the very beginning, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Notice they associated the destruction of the temple when Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. They are immediately, look at the context. Say this with me. Explanation is obtained in the context. Okay, so it's very contextually relevant there that Jesus is actually saying, notice he says, not one stone will be left upon another and his disciples immediately come and they ask him, when will these things be? And what? When will be the sign of your coming and when will be the what? End of the world. End of the world. Because the destruction of the temple to them was as the end of the world. Do you see that? Yes. If you do say amen. Okay, so Jesus is going to tell both. So in Matthew 24, he is going to be actually directing his own Talmudim who will be alive when the Romans crush the city. They will still be living, and he's giving them instructions on what to do. Are you with me? Yes. And he will also be giving signs of his second coming, but signs before the temple is destroyed. Are you following it? Yes. All right. So we're going to see, continuing in the context, he's going to give some very relevant signs. Let, let's look at these signs. Notice, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. And immediately after our Lord went back to heaven, you must understand that there were immediately a, a, a tremendous um, amount of individuals in the time of Christ right after that claimed themselves to be the Messiah. Many zealots, many individuals, and they all claimed themselves to be the Messiah by rebelling against Rome. And I'm going to tell you, any so-called messiahs that would rebel against Rome, historically speaking, are going to be absolutely crushed by the Romans. Okay, the Roman retaliation of anyone that would dare come up against Rome is going to suffer for it. This is why Jesus warned them. Okay, he was warning them not only to warn them from the sake of you're following a false prophet, but Jesus is warning them because he doesn't want them to be crushed. Are you with me? And that's exactly what happens. All right, so we see, beloved saints, that he is speaking of these signs of the end, we all know, and that we see that you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, and be not troubled. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. But notice in verse 10, he says, Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. He's now using Maccabean language. What's Maccabean language? Somebody tell me what Maccabean language is. What's Maccabean language? Somebody? Yes. Um, Take a shot at it. 
during the time of the uh, Civil War in the Mac with the Maccabeans, when Jews were against Jews. Okay. Very good, excellent. Um, during the time of the Maccabean Revolt, 175 years before Christ, the, the um, persons in their own families, because uh, Antiochus Epiphanes III, or the fourth, when he took over the Holy Land and Hellenized it and made it um, capital punishment for any Jew who practiced his faith, so any Jew who's going to worship the God of Israel is going to be put to death. Any person who does not apostatize and worship the gods, the Greek gods, when the Greeks invaded the land of Israel, will be put to death. Any families that know that their family members are obeying the commandments, practicing Shabbat, or going to synagogue or have a Torah or even obey any commandments, if they do not turn their family members in, they're going to be killed. So you will have people in the family that turned their own relatives, their own sisters, their own brothers, even mothers and fathers in for practicing Shabbat, for not apostatizing. So Jesus is using Maccabean language then will many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. This happened in the Maccabees, so we have history on replay. Hello, somebody. You have to understand, if you're going to read the Bible and you're going to understand Torah, there are many things that keep repeating itself. Are you with me? We've got a lot of things happening again. So we have another instance, Jesus is using this Maccabean language. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the and shall be saved. What happened in the Maccabean revolt? Most Jews apostatized from their faith. They denied the God of Israel. For example, um, Antiochus Epiphanes the the fourth made it a law that if you had an ox and your ox had horns, you had to, and every ox has horns. You know, every animal, every beast of burden has horns. You had to carve in its horns a mark. And the mark would say, I have no portion in the God of Israel. That's the mark of the beast in a, in a historical sense. We know the mark of the beast is also going to be a mark, right? But the historical background of that, of that background comes from apostatizing. What does it mean to apostatize? It means to deny the faith. It means to go in another direction, to not be faithful. It means to deny Christ. It means to deny God, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. So we have Jesus using Maccabean language, which we will not go into at this moment. And we see that he is giving his, his Talmudim directions. And he is saying to them, he is saying, there will be, verse 24, there shall arise false prophets and false Christ. And that's exactly what happened in the Bar Kava revolt. So we see on Tisha B'av, going back to Tisha B'av now, now that we've seen that, we're going back to Tisha B'av. We see the Bar Kava revolt was the worst one. It happened in 135 AD, and on Tisha B'av, that was it. The Roman retaliation under Ro the Roman Emperor Hadrian, completely, absolutely flattened the city and completely destroyed um, anything that was Jewish, drove all Jews out of the city. It was illegal for any Jews to live in the land of Israel. They were all taken slaves. And in 136, so it's no longer a Jewish place. It becomes a Roman place. So he has now completely conquered the land of Israel, and it becomes Roman. No Jews are allowed. All Jews are taken out of there because of the Bar Kaaba revolt, because of their false prophet Messiah. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And in 136 AD, on Tisha B'Av, we have Hadrian setting up a pagan temple 
over the temple of God. So we have these series of tragedies on the ninth of Av. We have, we have the destruction of the first temple in 587 BC. We have the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. We have the Romans plowing the Mount Temple Mount in 71 AD, all on Tisha B'Av. On Tisha B'Av, 135 AD, we have the Bar Kava revolt. In 136 AD on Tisha B'Av, we have Hadrian setting up a pagan temple over the Temple Mount. Mount. In 1290, we have King Edward of England expelling all Jews out of the land of England. No Jews are allowed to live in Great Britain. Okay, then we have in 1670, Jews are expelled from Vienna, Austria. No Jews are allowed in Austria. In 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella expel all Jews from Spain. They're not allowed to live. And this all happens on Tisha B'Av. 1492 on Tisha B'Av, it was written. In 16, uh, in 1290, it was written on Tisha B'Av that all the Jews had to leave, had to leave um, England. And then in 1492, on Tisha B'Av, Ferdinand and Isabella expel all Jews. What is this thing about Tisha B'Av? Seems to be a very tragic day, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. And, and we also, we can go on and on. In 1914, World War I began on Tisha B'Av. In 1940, Himmler constructed the final solution and presented, to, presented the final solution to Germans to begin the Holocaust continual, you know, the final solution. We studied it during Esther. The programmatic genocide that would wipe out all Jews in Europe. The plan was 11 million. They, they, they succeeded with 6 million. Do you see what I'm speaking about? All of these tragedies happen on Tisha B'Av. And the question is, why? What can reverse Tisha B'Av? What can reverse the tragedies of Tisha B'Av? The only thing that can reverse the tragedies of Tisha B'Av is the atonement of the Messiah of Israel. And that is why... The 21 days of messianic miracles are so precious, not only to the Jews, but also to every Christian. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So every reversal and every comfort and every reversal that's taking place has already been blood-bought. So you can say, during these 21 days of messianic miracles, every promise that's given to Jerusalem and every promise that's been given concerning tragedies has already been reversed because of the blood of Jesus. And somebody ought to give God the praise. During these 21 days of Messianic miracles, we will be <clears throat> sharing with you all the atonement, blood-bought promises. So you've got God's guarantee. Somebody already ought to say, I've got God's guarantee. My reversal's gonna come to pass in these 21 days. Somebody ought to praise God. These 21 days, hallelujah, are are filled with blessing and comfort. Are you with me, saints? Because they're bought by the blood. Somebody ought to say, my Lord bought my freedom. My Lord bought my reversal. My Lord stopped it. Now, just in case we didn't know, where'd this Tisha Bob thing come from anyway? Hmm, where'd it come from? Let's go to Numbers chapter 13. Let's actually see the beginning of Tisha B'Av. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, notice, 
Send men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I shall give to the children of Israel. Of every tribe you shall send one ruler among them. Then looking quickly at verse 17, and I'm going to ask um, my dear brother to please read that for us. And verse, till verse 19. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land what it is and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. Okay, notice God gave the instruction, didn't he? Yeah. God's the one who told Moses, send men into the land. Did God send him into the land to see if you can take it? No. God sent him into the land to say, go, go in there and get a plan and come back. God could have given them the plan, but God wants us to be independent enough to use our own faith. Oftentimes, when we're in a, a, something that we need to take, Okay, we've got, we've got a promise that's waiting and something that God promised us. We've got a land, we've got a, some kind of territory that God's already said, it's yours, child, it's yours. You got it by prophecy, you got it by promise. Somebody came and they gave you a word and you're wondering why isn't this thing working? Somebody ought to say, get yourself a plan, child, get yourself a plan. Okay, oftentimes God wants you to go up and possess it. Okay, you've got to have the faith and the chutzpah to get, to get your promise. How bad do you want it? You got to be willing to say, hey, I'm going to go through whatever it takes because God promised me. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Well, when people want something, they'll really go through all kinds of trouble to do it. They'll just say, well, I just think I'll, you know, I'll go and I'll purchase this and I'll save my money or I'll put my family to work or I'll, whatever kind of plan you're going to get, I'll go into business, I'll, you know, I'll stay up weekends, I'll, I'll work five jobs. I know people that go out of their way to do all kinds of things. If you desire something that desperately, what we do for foolishness, we'll save our money, go and spend our money on something that's so stupid, didn't even bring us any pleasure. We didn't get anything out of it. Or a job that we were hoping was going to bring us something and it didn't do, we didn't, we didn't get anything out of the training or all the hours or all the trouble that it took us. This heartache, all kinds of things we go through. And we're, to some people, it doesn't matter when you've got your eyes on something and you really want that thing, you'll do it. Some people become very cruel in the process. They know what they desire in life. They don't care who they destroy to get it. Mm -hmm. They're willing to do anything. Compromise their faith. <clears throat> Betray somebody. Let their guard down a little bit. Doesn't really matter, just kind of compromise. And you see, when we really want something, we're willing to do anything for it. The question arises, how desperately do you want to possess what God promised you? How desperate are you for obedience to God's word when he's given you a promise and he's given you something to do? What are you willing to do? He, the Lord already gave him everything. Now the Lord said, it's up to you, child. You got to go up into that promised land and get yourself a plan and come back and say that you're willing to go up and to take the territory. But they came back with an evil report. And they brought slander on the land of Israel. And the Bible tells us, beloved saints, let's look at it. 
The Bible tells us that when they came back, let's look at verse 25. The Bible says in verse 25, and they returned from searching the land after 20, after 40 days, and they went to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation, and they told them, verse 27, we've been into the land that you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites in the mountains. And Caleb stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and possess it. But they brought the men that were with them, said, we're not able to go up. And they said, what, those people are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report on the land uh, that they searched. Now, dear people of God, look at chapter 14, verse 1. Because those men that brought up the evil report upon the land, the people now, the whole entire congregation of Israel is infected with the idea that they don't want to go up and possess the land. You see leaders that um, don't complain with the word of God, double responsibility is upon them. Because now we see that all the congregation lifted up their voice and the people cried and they wept all night. Guess what day that was? It was the ninth of Ab. That is where all of the tragedies began. When they refused to go up and do the will of God. When they refused to go up and take the land. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord, in these 21 days of messianic miracles, make me so willing to do your will. Make me so willing to say yes. Make me so willing to do whatever you ask me to do. Are you with me, saints? Are you hearing this tonight? All right, very quickly. That's where the ninth of off began. But now we know that the blood of Jesus undoes all of the tragedies of Tishabah. This is why Zechariah chapter 8 verse 19 is the promise. It's a messianic promise. And the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 19, because of the tragedies that occurred in Jerusalem, there was weeping and mourning every year. Every year there's three weeks of mourning and weeping followed by in the seventh month weeping and in the tenth month weeping all over Tishabab. But the Bible says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, which are days of mourning over Jerusalem, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness. That means in a time of the Messiah, it's going to be reversed. God God is saying everything is going back the way God ordained it and cheerful feast. Therefore, love the peace and truth. Are you with me? Say Messiah has already come and it's already in reverse. All right. So we're going to look at some of the promises tonight that God has given you before we end this service today. Every First of all, we're going to go back to 17. What is the meaning of 17? Going back to Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, I want you to see 17 is a word in Hebrew. It's a number. And I'm going to tell you what that number actually represents. The Bible says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being what? 17 years old. Okay, why is the Bible telling us that he's 17? Do we really care? All right, is that really relevant? Yeah. The answer to that is yes. That's why the Bible is telling us. And the Bible is not telling us so we know it happened. The Bible is not telling us just so we know Joseph was 17. The Bible is telling us because 17 has spiritual significance. The spelling of 17. How do you get 17? All right, we're going to look at what words in the Hebrew language equal 17. Now, letters in the Hebrew language have a transliterated form. So in other words, if you have letters, there is also the letter is also a number. 
In English, we don't have that. We've got A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven separate systems, don't we? But in Hebrew, there's no separate systems. The system is all one. So if you count one, the number one is also the letter Aleph. And if you count two, the letter, the number two is also the letter Bet. And if you count three, the letter Gemel is also the number Gemel. Do you see it? So if you have a word, a word, and you transliterate it into its numeric form, you're not doing any hocus-pocus stuff like that. That's condemned by the Bible. That's superstition. This is not superstition. This is logic. This is a form of biblical interpretation that the rabbis use to get the deeper meaning of each word. Because biblical studies, when you're studying words, because the Hebrew language is a very articulate language, and every word has a concept behind it. So it's a language of concepts. So in, in English, we don't, you know, we say phone, but is there actually a concept behind the phone? You just talk on the phone, great. But it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't, it's not a concept you're going to in, incorporate into your life. Okay, but in Hebrew, uh, every word has a concept. So this means that one of the ways you want to be able to do exegesis in biblical studies is you want to take every word apart because you want the most meaning out of everything God is saying in his word. Are you with me? Yeah. You want the literal meaning. You want the comparative meaning, comparing scripture with scripture. You want the historical meaning, don't you? And you also want the prophetic meaning, don't you? To apply it to your life. You're not reading dead history. You're reading a message. So how in the world can Joseph being 17 years old have anything to do with you? How can it have anything to do with your life? You're reading something historical. Only when you learn how to study Torah. Then you understand how it has something to do with you. It's all biblical hermeneutics. Say with me, biblical hermeneutics. Okay, so we take what letter, if you transliterate the letters, and it equals 17. What letter, what word is that? Hmm. It's the word tov. What is tov? Tov is good. Say with me, good. So right away, when you read the story about Joseph, God is telling you, don't cry. It's going to be good. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is saying, you see, there's two kinds of good in Hebrew. There's the kind of good that's good right now. Then there's the kind of good that works together with everything in your life that turns for good. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? It's the hand of God that makes everything good. Now, the 17th of Tammuz is the day the walls are breached. And so when we think, my Life is being destroyed. The enemy came in. He breached the walls. He took my stuff. He invaded my territory. He invaded my dream. He took my, my, my dream. He took my children. He took my finances or he took my home. He broke into my territory and he took my stuff. But God is saying the 17th day of the month of Tammuz happened on the 17th. Somebody ought to say it's going to go for good. Somebody ought to say it doesn't end up in tragedy. It ends up in good. The Bible's telling us Joseph's kidnapped when he's 17. 
17. Go with me just for a moment before we close. Somebody's going to get ready to shout in a minute. Oh, my goodness. Now, we read earlier that Jacob was, what, what was Jacob doing? Somebody tell me what happened to Jacob when he got a hold of the coat of Joseph. What was he doing? Somebody raise their hand and I'll call on you. What was he doing? Yes, um, Isabel. Uh-huh. And for how long? What does it say about his weeping? Okay, he was weeping and weeping, wasn't he? He refused to be what? He refused to be comforted. Hallelujah. And so, beloved saints, hallelujah. All right. He refused to be comforted, and he's away from Joseph for 22 years. But guess what? Go with me to Genesis 47. Genesis 47. Say, these, this is the beginning of, the, of a season that my eyes are going to behold. Things I never thought I'd see. Things I thought were dead that are coming back to life. I'm holding on to God's word. I will not let it go. Something in my life that I thought was dead. The Lord is so good. I'm going to laugh again. And I'm going to laugh because what God's going to do is so ridiculous. I'm telling you. Oh, the Lord is, oh, when the Lord does something. You just laugh because you're going to say, how in the world did God do that? It doesn't make sense. How did God do that? How in the world did that happen? I'm prophesying. I am prophesying. I am prophesying a destiny over every one of you in this room tonight. You are going to have something happen within this period that you are going to say, how did that happen? Watch this. Go ahead and read chapter four, uh, chapter 47, looking at verse 27. Mm -hmm. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Go ahead. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. Guess what? He saw his Joseph. He put his hands on his Joseph. And the Lord told him in a dream, fear not to go down to Mitzrayim. Jacob didn't want to go. He heard Joseph was there. Let me just tell you something. He's old now. He's 130. And actually, he looks much older than he is because Pharaoh, if you read the text, Pharaoh couldn't believe how old he was. He looked old because he'd been through so much. And now we're going to see that when he gets down to Egypt, before he goes to Egypt, God gives him a dream in Genesis 46. And the Lord says, Jacob, Jacob. And he says, here I am. And he says, fear not to go down to Egypt. For there I will make of thee a great nation. You're going to die there. Joseph will put his fingers on your eyes. That's what God told him. 
meaning the one who's going to close your eyes is Joseph. Joseph will close your eyes. Why would Jacob need to be comforted going down to Egypt? Because to him, the land of Israel now was his greatest possession for his descendants. His fear, because he's old, is they could leave me in this land. And it will affect everything if I'm left in Mitzrayim and not brought back to Canaan. This is why immediately he's going to make, immediately make Joseph swear. And Joseph's going to swear twice that he's going to bring his father back. And he's not only going to make Joseph swear, he's going to make his son swear that they will swear before the God of Abraham that they will take his body out and bring him back. Jacob lived in the land 17 years because God was saying everything that was so sorrowful the last 17 years of your life, you are going to live with Joseph, and it's all good. You're going to see Joseph's children. You're going to see uh, Ephraim. You're going to see Manasseh. Hello, somebody. You are going to see Ephraim. You are going to see Manasseh. You are going to be, you're going to bounce them on your knees. And Joseph is going to put his hands on your eyes. And you are going to come and be with me. Do you understand how God turned it to God? Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast. 